May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. On this week's episode, we are going to wrap up Margaret Mitchell's story. We've been following her story because 100 years ago, she lived with fibromyalgia and related problems and struggled greatly. And hopefully through hearing her story, your story will be validated and we can help move forward to sharing more education and understanding so that her story does not have to be repeated. On this week's episode, we will discuss the impact her book had in Europe during World War II and then her tragic ending the last couple years of her life, the impact it had and also how she died tragically. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician, an internal medicine doctor, and a diplomat of the Board of Lifestyle Medicine and Clinical Lipidology. I've been a doctor for over 26 years and try to share the wisdom and experience of working with fibromyalgia and related problems to the podcast. I also am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain, which is available both in printed and audio forms. While I am a doctor, I am not your doctor, so make sure you discuss all signs and symptoms with your personal physician. The goal of this podcast is to help inform, inspire, and equip those who are struggling with fibromyalgia, as well as helping people who have loved ones with fibromyalgia, or if you're a medical doctor or other medical professional in growing in your understanding of fibromyalgia so that you can offer the best care possible. This information is presented for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be interpreted as medical advice for any medical condition and any individual. It is also not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. As you listen to this podcast, which is being broadcast outside in my backyard on July 4th, you will hear birds chirping in the background as it's morning and I thought this would be a nice relaxing background to listen to as you learn more about fibromyalgia. Last week we had talked about Margaret's frustrations dealing with Dr. Dandy and the other medical providers. During World War II and more afterward, Margaret recognized the political meaning of what she had written. It was a book about freedom she affirmed. Her book was popular 
in Poland and other Nazi-held countries. It was morale-building. The French resistance also liked it above all other books. They published it secretly and distributed it through the underground with many people reading a single copy and then passing it on to others. She said, It made me happy to know that something I wrote could give pleasure and comfort during the German occupation. After the VE, or Victory in Europe Day, her patriotism turned into anti-communism, which heightened her emotions into yet another different direction that fit the other patterns of her life after 1944. With the war, her operation, her father's death, and John's myocardial infarction, heart failure, and severe debility, she developed significant mood changes for the worse. In the last five years of her life, she snarled as often as she smiled. In September 1941, when she christened the first ship named Atlanta, she had been in good shape, well-kept and fashioned in the khaki of a Red Cross uniform. She smiled fully and waved enthusiastically as she boarded the train for its launching. However, three years later, at the launching of the second Atlanta, as the first had been sunk, she had gained 40 pounds on her 100-pound, 4-foot-11 petite frame. She tried to cover it with a mink full coat as she scowled at the camera behind an armful of roses almost as big as she. She had changed. Her body had changed considerably, but that was nothing compared with the changes in her attitude during the 1940s. This was similar to her father's as he aged and ailed. They became more suspicious, resentful, narrow, and legalistic. Although her altruism, grace, and wit hardly disappeared, other smaller, meaner emotions crowded her life. Skepticism and distrust bloomed like malignant flowers in her character. Her humor waned. Bitterness and resentment permeated her feelings. She was capable of intense anger and vengefulness when she felt wronged or trodden on. With every going on, her spirit constricted. Her brother later described her sister and father as extremely reactionary. Being extremely reactionary is consistent with both her and her father being wired with an ADHD and fibromyalgia-type brain that now under tremendous stress was taxing her limits. As we come to the final conclusion of her life, I want to share the beginning of the final chapter in her biography by Darden Pyron, where he takes from the order of the burial of the dead from the book of Common Prayer. Thou hast set our misdeeds before thee, and our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For when thou art angry, all our days are gone. We bring our years to an end, as it were a tale that is told. On the evening of August 11, 1949, John took Margaret's invitation to attend the movies. The movie The Canterbury Tales was showing, and was a brief drive from their apartment. 
This was a routine trip and passed many familiar places. They drove through Ansley Park to Peachtree Street. The marshes parked on the east side of the street, got out and prepared to cross the street. They meandered and halfway through the light evening traffic paused in the middle of the street. At that moment, they looked up to see a car roaring towards them that the curve in the street had hidden. This was her old nightmare, a speeding car with a drunk driver. The two briefly stood in the middle of the street. John stood still. She bolted. Overweight and bad feet and all, she dashed for the curb. The driver slammed on the brakes, but it was too late. She had dashed into the path of the oncoming taxi. She was knocked unconscious with major head trauma and remained in a coma. She was taken to Grady Hospital. The swelling inside her brain did not go down, and five days later, at noon on August 16th, she passed. Her funeral service took place at Atlanta's Episcopal Cathedral, following the Book of Common Prayer. She had enjoyed the Episcopal liturgy that spoke powerfully to her and moved her deeply. She had proclaimed devotion to all the Psalms. She really enjoyed the 103rd Psalm, which I will read. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with the steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In those words and many other psalms, Margaret had found great comfort. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. 
you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. The family returned to Peachtree Street after the funeral. Hundreds visited. Within a year, Stevens Mitchell, that was Margaret's brother, buried his wife, Carrie Lou, after a long, drawn-out battle with failing health. Then on the morning of May 5, 1952, Bessie Jordan, who was the family caretaker and maid, found John Marsh dead. He was 56. My hope in sharing Margaret's story with those who are listening is that others in modern times do not have to go through the same struggles, the mystery of fibromyalgia and related problems. I want to bring credit to all of those researchers who were able to recognize in Margaret's biography that she struggled. There was an article by Dr. Wu and others that appeared in the June 2018 issue of Psychosomatic Medicine, and it reported the results of a meta-analysis of cognitive impairment in fibromyalgia. In this article, it was shown that patients with fibromyalgia have cognitive impairment in learning, memory, attention, psychomotor speed, executive function, and working memory. Along with other research on fibromyalgia and ADHD, Dr. Pinnell's suggested that Margaret Mitchell, author of Gone with the Wind, the world's best-selling novel of the time, had chronic widespread pain for many years and suffered what appeared to be fibromyalgia and associated cognitive impairment. Her widespread pain was reported to have played an important role in writing the novel as stated in one of her biographies. She never thought of writing without pain, as we heard her say during this podcast. Their various medical issues associated with her pain began when she was 20 years old, starting with low back pain. From her back, the pain spread over the years to different parts of her body, including her abdomen, neck region, both shoulders, both hip joints, and both lower limbs, ultimately spreading throughout her entire body with severe intensity. Her husband, John, had stated, I could not rub her all the, from the back of her head to her toes. The slightest pressure was too painful. She also had a high degree of fatigue, lower abdominal pain, depression, and headaches. According to the guidelines from the American College of Rheumatology criteria, Fibromyalgia is diagnosed when the total widespread pain index, that's the WPI, and the symptom severity score is greater than 13 out of 31 or higher. Based on all of her mentioned symptoms, her total index score was at 26, and she would have definitely fell within the criteria for fibromyalgia according to current guidelines. Not only that... But she also was accident-prone. She sustained serious leg burns and horse-riding accidents during childhood. She was involved in three separate motor vehicle accidents as adult, indicating that 
Inattention also was a constant feature through Margaret Mitchell's life. This goes back to earlier stages in her life when she was just a child, showing evidence of inattention. When we look at her biography, we can identify, as we discussed earlier, the features of ADHD. She had experienced problems with attention, including attention related to work-related activities. Examples include being dreamy or preoccupied, needing others to structure things, avoiding tasks that require sustained attention and forgetfulness. Although she wrote stories from early childhood, her handwriting was wavering, lopsided, and riddled with spelling mistakes. Even as an adult, her second husband, John, noted as constantly finding grammar and spelling errors in her writings, including Gone with the Wind. She found it very difficult to type articles consistent with having inattention. She also was not happy in school and would make up stories in which she would become the heroine. She was very creative. In her everyday life, she was unable to function, though, on her own and relied heavily on John. Other descriptions that indicate that she had characteristics of hyperactivity and impulsivity include not being quiet when appropriate, always on the go, excessiveness and prematurely saying what comes to the mind. Peggy would frequently ride her horse at full speed up and down a hill while standing in the saddle often for hours. When she was a child, she climbed trees no matter how high, more quickly than anyone else. A photograph taken when Peggy was attending high school shows 23 members around her from her drama club gathered around the motor vehicle. She was the only member sitting on its roof. Ignoring the advice of her family, she wore a strikingly conspicuous, outrageous costume to a Lent ball where she performed an Apache dance while acting like a prostitute and shrieking wildly. The performance apparently outraged the society matrons of Atlanta. Peggy always could be located immediately in a crowd because she was the type of person who would laugh loudly even in a movie theater. From early childhood, though into her adult life after Leaving home in the early morning, Peggy would eat breakfast on horseback and be the earliest person to arrive at work where she worked tirelessly and prolifically. She also was described as a chatterbox by her parents. The list goes on. These observations made by Dr. Pennells and others have recognized the presence of ADHD in her life along with the fibromyalgia and studies have shown that the rate of ADHD in those with fibromyalgia ranges between 25 to 80 percent. And both of them contain similar overlap in struggles, especially in what we call fibrofog with memory issues, attention, executive function, and working memory. These are thought to be related to dopamine transmission problems. This is known to occur in those with ADHD and fibromyalgia. This likely represents a common pathophysiologic pathway, as we like to call it in medicine. The recognition of ADHD in those who are struggling is important because there are studies showing improvement in fibromyalgia 
symptoms. One was done with methylphenidate, and the dosing ranged from 60 to 10 milligrams of methylphenidate daily, and concentration, energy, and mood improved significantly over the 30-day treatment. There also was the use of adomoxetine, also brand-named Stratera, a non-stimulant used to ADHD, had some improvement in fibrofog. Also, a study by Dr. Joel Young using Vyvanse showed significant improvements in fibromyalgia symptoms, reducing them in half. Research done by Dr. Kasahara and associates in Japan recognized in their patients who had chronic pain, ADHD was found in 72.5%. The report suggested that this pain was substantially improved by the treatment of ADHD with either methylphenidate or adomoxetine. The take-home message is that screening for coexistent ADHD is also important in the medical treatment of chronic pain conditions, including fibromyalgia and others. In Margaret's case, this would also include irritable bowel syndrome. I don't know about you, but I love movies where you get to go back in time. There's that fantasy of what if, what if we could have fixed something? And when we look at Margaret's life, what if Margaret Mitchell had received treatment in the form of ADHD therapeutics with stimulant medication and titrated so that she could have not been impaired? What would have happened to her pain, her brain fog, and her fatigue? Maybe she would have been able to start work on the much-anticipated follow-up of Gone with the Wind that she continuously deferred. For many who are listening, you may be on the edge of losing all hope that you might be able to get better. Sharing this information with your medical providers and getting help is important. I know for many of you who are wondering about the connection, I would definitely refer back to the episodes discussing ADHD with Dr. Dodson, along with other discussions we've had during these podcasts. Now, treatment of ADHD by itself is not the only treatment. A healthy lifestyle, including a healthy diet, exercise, and sleep, and stress management, along with other appropriate medications, can work together. I hope you have enjoyed listening to this series sharing her struggles can help build awareness and echo her story and struggles into the present times to help spur us to provide better care for those struggling with fibromyalgia and related problems. Please hit the like, share, or follow buttons and leave a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. And last but not least, I want to thank the author of Margaret Mitchell's biography, Darden Pyron, as well as the researchers who were able to look at her life and bring the connection 
through fibromyalgia and ADHD to light so that we can grow in our understanding. Until next week, go Team Fibro.